1: Hello and welcome to Film Chat. In this episode, following on from our previous adventure, me and Sam travel to Victorian England, where I reunite with my sister Chon Lin and help her on her quest to recover the Imperial Seal of China, which was stolen by the evil Lord Rathbone. We get into all manner of adventures and I befriend a host of colourful characters, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Charlie Chaplin and Jack the Ripper. Eventually, we recover the seal, defeat Rathbone, foil a plot to assassinate the royal family, and get knighted. This really sounds like it's uh, going to be exciting. Wait a second, hang on. Well, I've, I'm actually confused, Us with the characters Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan play in the 2003 what? film Shanghai Knights. Uh, this is actually a podcast where we just talk about films. Danny, I was really
4: excited there for yeah. a second. I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. Maybe we're just going to sit here and talk about films. <laughs> no. Anyway, I'm Danny Moran. Joining me is my old chum, Sam Foster. Today on Film Chat, Danny and I meet Chappie, Neil Blomkamp's sci-fi thriller about a sentient robot who says things like "Don't
0: steal Daddy's car, you slut."
4: <laughs> See, he says that it's got a line like that. Danny also tries to make out what's going on in Greg Araki's indie drama White Bird in a Blizzard, and I take a look at Orson Welles' underrated gem Citizen Kane. All that plus a 25-minute discussion about Samuel L. Jackson's wigs that Katie assures me will be kept in the final edit. Sounds like a great show. Me too. I mean, I agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> films, 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 lots of films, 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 movies. Good films, bad films, fun films, sad films.
1: We've got films up to your gills With films, 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 films,
0: movies Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun
1: So, correspondences... Yeah. We've had one. One. But it was really good. It was really good. From Sam Casely. He asks Hi, film chat. Just wondering what antics Sam and Danny would get up to if they underwent the operation that John Travolta and
4: Nicolas Cage do in Face Off. So, for those who haven't seen Face Off, what happens is (laughs) (laughs) um, John Travolta's face is removed and (laughs) Replaced. (laughs) replaced with Nicolas Cage's face, and Nicolas Cage gets John Travolta's face. Right. So I think that one of the first things would happen is people would say, why is Sam so tall? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And why is Danny so short now? What's happened? Yeah. The first first question is, Sam, would you fuck my girlfriend? (laughs) Pretending it was me. I am not sure we'd really get to a point where that would be an option. I think maybe Katie would clock that, you know, you sound very similar. Yeah, we sound kind of similar, especially if I only sent Kate, you know, left voice messages or something. But yeah. also once, once Kate encountered me, she might notice that, you know, Danny's gotten a lot smaller recently and he doesn't have his usual manner. You know, he's a bit different. It's kind of a different person. Do entirely. you have
1: like uh, something you want to do, but don't want to deal with the consequences of? You could do it in my body and then mm. I would have to deal with it later. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, that's a good that's a good question. You know, want to like punch someone in the face, yell at your boss or something.
4: Yeah, well, I could just go to work and find all of the like, my <laughs> colleagues who I don't like and just call them, like, you know, some yeah. rude words, and I would face no consequences because for them, it'd just be a random guy doing it. Yeah, exactly. It'd actually be me. That uh... guy had Sam's body, but he looked nothing like him. So it wasn't him. That's what they'd think. What would you do, Danny, if you, um, if you had my body? This might sound a bit weird,
1: but I'd, like, fuck you in my body. What?
4: <laughs> I'm not gay. What? I'm not gay, but... But I was not expecting that but, to be your answer. But I, I'd want to know. Okay, you want to know what it was like to fuck yourself yeah. with my dick. That's what.
1: No. Yeah,
4: with your dick. oh wait. No 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 no. no, no. Who's got who's got whose dick? No, you know you want to know what it's like to fuck me <laughs> with your own dick. <laughs> but with my with your face.
1: Uh, maybe I shouldn't have announced this on it's radio. It's but... very
4: it's very confusing. Yeah. yeah, it's a
1: it's a huge sexual fantasy
4: for me. I think Face Off would have been better if it was just about two random guys. You know, it's like not a gangster <laughs> and a policeman or anything. It's just two guys, you know. But it, it turns out they've got sort the of messed up ideas about <laughs> what, <laughs> what they'd want to do with each other's faces. Well, what would I do if I was you? What do you have that I don't? You know, lovely flat. Uh, you could hang out there. Can hang out there.
1: I could, you know, find out some real, like, shit about you. I'd be like, hey, uh, Marianne, what was that thing I told you? I asked you to take to the grave. What was that again? Oh, yeah. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you did that. And then I'd have that kind of power over you for the rest of my life.
4: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Ah, just, you know, that thing. It's like a big deal for me, but I've kind of forgotten it completely. (laughs) (laughs) completely Something I may have killed. Skeletons in my closet.
1: Uh, Kill rapes. Stole something. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I ask Marion that question very often, so that would also <laughs> seem very authentic. I'm always forgetting the darkest secrets that I uh, divulged to her. <laughs> I'd well, like to know what Sam Casely would do if he had one of our faces. Write if, in and let us know. So. Write in and let us know. Uh, has that become our catchphrase, by the way, <laughs> since the end of the last episode? I noticed you mentioned it on Facebook in the post. Yeah. Write in and let us know. Yeah. yeah I'm going to end it, pretty much every section with that. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So write it and let us know. That indicates that this, you know, that's what the end of the correspondence. Haven't already discussed anything film related thus far, have we? We're getting there. <laughs> Superhero films announced, passing rumors leaking
0: out. Emma Chamberlain's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's hosted tips. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint.
4: Some, of the, some weird film news continues to come out of Sony Pictures, but this time it's in the form of a press release rather than a leak uh, they want to turn Ghostbusters into a cinematic universe that's the sort of thing right now, right? a cinematic yeah. universe? that's where all the money is it's like they've really, you know, just making something into a franchise now seems like pathetically low ambition and when a movie is successful they're no longer thinking can we make a sequel, they're thinking can we make seven sequels, you know, and like spin-offs and all this kind of thing So, yeah, Ghostbusters universe is on the way. Um, A bunch of the original people uh, from Ghostbusters are involved, including Dan Aykroyd and uh, Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman said, We want to expand the Ghostbusters universe in ways that will include different films, TV shows, merchandise, all things that are part of modern filmed entertainment. This is branded entertainment. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? (laughs) A scary supernatural premise mixed with comedy is uh, a... is he a director or is he just you know a suit from the marketing I wanna department I want to make a shitload of money I want to yeah. milk this teat until it's dry Yeah I'm going to become heavily involved in the toys the cups the mu- you know like Yeah Yeah when I watch
1: ghostbusters I was like, that's going to make a great cup one day
4: Also they, they, they make a gag about it in ghostbusters right because they they try yeah, to brand yeah. themselves and yeah. it's like laughable really yeah. yeah I mean free balloons for the kids and all yeah. that kind of thing <laughs> So it sounds kind of dreadful. The next movie they're hoping will like they're already working on the movie after the all female remake and it's gonna be written by um Drew something. Drew Goddard? <laughs> yeah, Drew Goddard, I think. But I feel like it kind of takes some of the excitement out of the all-female Ghostbusters for them for already planning a sort of, like, male Ghostbusters to follow it. It's like, what? Yeah, well,
1: when we uh, talked about this news originally, the all-female Ghostbusters, it was like, oh, that's kind of like a smart way to do it. Yeah, it's an it's interesting like, twist on that. An interesting, interesting the, twist. Yeah. It's like, but it's actually like, really, that's, we'd much rather just do... Yeah. It's like, you know, the all-female Ghostbusters got received positively, and I'm not like, oh, great, we can just make an all-male one now.
4: Yeah, and yeah. It, that's gonna rather rather than that being the reinvention of the thing, that's just one aspect of their new branded entertainment universe. But what else is it gonna be like? All all male, all female, kid, Ghostbuster Junior, all dogs, kids, all I... dogs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hotel for Ghostbuster dogs. Yeah,
1: like yeah. an elderly one, like a sort of uh, Judy Dench. You just get the cast of the
4: besties. How bad? They're all ghosts and they're busting humans. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Shit, man. Sounds pretty good. huh? That's pretty cool. Manbusters. <laughs>
1: Manbusters.
4: <laughs> Mankind I am afraid of no man. Yeah, I have some more news. Hit me some news. Tim Burton's <gasps> next project <gasps> is a live-action remake of Dumbo. Wow! Who's playing Dumbo? Can I only describe that as a project that is screaming to be made. Well, you can't really watch the Dumbo now because of all the racism
1: in it. A lot of racism in Dumbo Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just choked on the racism. A lot of racism. Yeah, you posted a, a link. Uh,
4: TV. You, uh, the
1: slave song. The slave song. Yeah. And then there's like this happy-hearted sort, roustabouts. There's like the um the crows are all like these sort of cool jazz black
4: crows who's like narrate the story. It's and a it's bit like, of an issue with these older Disney movies. Yeah. The sort of jazz characters who are just these like you know awful racist stereotypes. What
1: happened to Tim Byrne? He used to be cool, right? He was mm. cool in the '90s. Yeah, he lost his cool. It feels like everything. Every <laughs> yeah, he lost that. <laughs> every product he announces is just like, oh, of course he's making that. It's like Tim Burton's making. And Alice One is like, yeah, it's a bit weird. He'll do that. It's like Tim Burton's making a movie about a Chocolate Factory vampire and-, and like a house. Like, of course he is. Yeah. It's like his new one's called like
4: uh, Mrs. Uh, Pedigree's Home for Peculiar Children. Like, yeah, of course it is. You yeah, know. yeah. But I don't know if I I feel that way about Dumbo. That seems like quite a weird... It's just a weird idea. Of course he is. Of course he's making that film about the flying elephant. Of course. You know, usually
1: I'd be like, well, obviously Helena Helena Bonham is going to be in Johnny Depp, but recent marital uh, issues... Oh, really? So Helena's out, right? Really? I presume. Nice, Why? Well, they've, um, they've split
4: up. Have they? Helena Bonham Carter, she anti-austerity or something? And uh, Tim Burton still loves uh, <laughs> David Cameron. I don't know.
1: No, they split right before
4: Christmas. Oh, OK. I met right before Christmas. Didn't you hear about this? Uh, that was the headline everyone went with. <laughs> and they were really pleased with themselves. Yeah, their marriage went to Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right, yeah, maybe Maybe she you know, won't play Dumbo, or whatever was originally envisaged. I think he should do the movie with no special effects at all. That would be good. Just get a do, really smart elephant. Just get a smart elephant with unusually big, flappy ears and do some very careful cutaways to make it look like the elephant's <laughs> flying. <laughs> Just drop it from a plane or something, and just get your shots. Yeah. Just someone from a plane into like an ocean or something. You know. Yeah, I mean, don't kill the elephant. <laughs> just drop him from a great height into the sea. <laughs> yeah, not... we don't want to hurt the animals. <laughs> Can't you just have like someone from the zoo lifting the elephant's ears up and kind of flapping them up and down? Can't elephants just... like they actually can fly if they tried? Right, that's like a fact. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if it is. I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. I. Uh, I'm champing at the bits to (laughs) see that one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have more news. Have you got more news? I've got a little bit of news. I've got a final minor bit of news. (laughs) Last bit of news I have on my news sheet um, is that another Bond girl has been added.
1: (gasps) Bond girl. Another Bond
4: girl's been added to the Skyfall follow-up. Let me ask you a question. Is she uh, really sexy? Um, She is very sexy, Danny, Yes. yes. She's very sexy. Um, it's Stephanie Sigmund, who is a Mexican actress. She was the star of Miss Balor. Um Who would you play in it? She played Miss Bala. Okay. Which was a very good film. I saw that um, a few years ago when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's cool. Um, her character is called Estrella which means that Bond's relationship with Heineken, um, which has yeah. been established in, in the previous couple of movies, he might be shifting to a new beer. He might be moving to Estrella. Estrella. Yeah, and there'll probably be a little sort of meat cute type scene where he's in a bar, he's just recovered from a fist fight, and, you know, he's sort of manfully bleeding <sighs> from his eyes. <laughs> and, uh, he's gushing from his eye sockets. <laughs> he's like, can I get a frosty uh, Stella? Yeah, Estrella? Yeah, and this sorry. sort of agri um, woman... <laughs> turns over she's proud He's like are you referring to me <laughs> That's also going to amazing. <laughs> <coughs> the things things go from there brilliant uh, but that'd be very nice that sounds great yeah so they got a French Bongo an Italian Bongo and now a Mexican Bongo Mexican Bongo I don't what's know what's next the whole notion of a new Bond girl announced just seems slightly depressingly sort of throwback yeah in aspect of the Bond franchise they haven't been able to modernise which one of them is going to die right one of them has to die uh I reckon Leia do. yeah yeah she looks like the most fragile. She's going to turn out to be evil and then die. Yeah. Or is she going to be good and then die? I still think is going to be Blofeld. Uh, right, yeah, that would be good. I'd be on board with that. Yeah. You can't call Blofeld a Bond girl. That just seems wrong.
1: I hope she, uh, she's like, but I kill Blofeld, and she just takes off her hair. And she's bald and she like, rubs of her makeup, we've got to make a skull. <laughs> She's like, I yeah, was going to... She fuck. takes a blanket off her lap and there's a cat underneath. <laughs> yeah. I always wonder why you're always sitting down. She, like, wheels it. Yeah. <laughs> she is Blofeld. That'll be an awesome reveal. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. Um, also exciting news, that broke literally minutes before we started recording. Goodness me. Frozen so- 2 has officially been announced by Disney! What?! Let it go, let it go, (laughs) let it go. I haven't actually seen the movie. I only know that, like, one song. I only know that, like, 20-second clip they always
4: play. Yeah, well, it's a pretty good song. Let it go! Was she, why are you saying let it go? Because she has been afflicted with uh, uncontrollable ice powers since she was a little girl. Right. And she's been trying to cover them up so as to not disturb everyone, by, you know freezing them. And in this part of the film, she has left her home. <laughs> she's wandered onto a mountain and she can just go nuts, you know? Yeah. Because there's no one around to be bothered by her turning he everything seas into of ice. wild abandon. Yeah, absolutely. She's just like, that's it, I'm cutting loose. Does... She
1: makes the Fortress of Solitude. She makes the Fortress of Solitude. She makes Superman's Fortress of she,
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She builds, she builds uh, it's like a cross between Superman's Fortress and... Um, Dying doc... of a Day's Ice Palace. <laughs> <laughs> palace and
1: Watchmen on Mars. Yeah,
4: list. I was about to say the, yeah. All right. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan's Watchmen Palace in Mars, yeah. Did Did it lend itself to a sequel? Did it conclusively end... Well, you know, it's like a Disney film, so all the main characters are alive and everything. Yeah. You it, can easily build a sequel it on it. It did gross $1.3 billion, so that might be a factor in it getting it, a yeah, sequel. Yeah, they, well, they're still showing it pretty much three times a week at the Prince Charles Cinema, and, you know. There was something amazing last like, year. It was like the fourth yeah, highest-grossing yeah. film of the year, despite having been released the previous year. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So it's hardly surprising that the sequel's going ahead.
1: Well, I'm very excited. I haven't seen the original,
4: but I'm, I okay. just love the sound of it. Very excited. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I would hope from the sequel is that it maintains a kind of, uh, you know, makes the sister dynamic is still the heart of the movie because it had that nice kind of subverting princess tropes aspect to it. Did it pass the backstile test? Absolutely. Brilliant. With
1: flying colours. Marvellous. Final bit of news. Uh, Woody Allen, a friend of the show, Mm -hmm. has announced casting for his new film. His next film is called An Irrational Man, which is Whacking Phoenix and Emma Stone. And he's now announced another film that's untitled until probably two weeks before it gets released. And Jesse Eisenberg, uh, K Stew, Kristen Stewart, and Bruce Willis have been cast in it. Yeah, wow. Uh, very exciting. Uh, so I figured, you know, if he's a friend of the show, just give him a call, ask him about it. Yeah, you Why we, talk about it. Yeah, we should hear what he Get thinks. Get the old phone out, press, press prior, Woody. Woody. You've got your Woody button on there. Just going to press it now. Hello, Woody, you there? Woody.
0: Hello, is that um, that's Danny, right? I, I recognised your voice immediately. It's very distinctive. No, oh,
1: thanks, Woody. Um, so um, I'm just wondering about this new film. Bruce Willis. Never worked with him before. How'd that come about?
0: Well, I I bumped into Bruce Willis um when I was uh, picking up lunch uh, yesterday, and um, I said to him. Uh, hello, Bruce. I loved your work in G.I. Joe Retaliation, which I thought was one of the best films of the last ten years. And, um, you know, would you like to be in my next movie, which I, I just started writing this morning and I'm, I'm almost done?
4: Okay, so what uh, kind of role will, will Bruce be playing? This is Sam, by the way. I didn't introduce myself, but I'm here as well.
0: Well, I've never written a film with a very prominent, bald character. And, uh, my movies have also tended to shy away from characters who work out a lot. You know, they they tend to be about, like, hairier, skinnier men. And so I was really looking for a departure this time. And, and Bruce fits perfectly. He plays, them uh, somebody who uh, gets sent to prison and falls uh, for the attempted murder of Jay Leno. And, uh... You know, he's been wrongly accused, uh, because he has a, really has an excellent relationship with Jay Leno, and he's got to find his way out of prison by, by any means necessary, you know. And Jesse Eisenberg plays, I'm hoping he'll play one of the prison guards, Though know, he might prefer a different role, I'm not, I'm not really sure, and um, Kristen Stewart will be playing um, the lover of the two other male characters. She kind of flits between them, you know.
1: Wow, OK, cool. Um, and you're doing this as well as the Amazon TV show?
0: Is that still going ahead? Absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm also planning to sign another television show deal uh, with Netflix, but that one hasn't quite gotten through. I mean, I still don't have any ideas whatsoever, but um, I have a tendency of meeting my deadline, so I'm not too worried about that.
4: So um, you've uh, completed your latest movie, Irrational Man. That's coming out soon. Um, are you excited to see what people think about that?
0: Not really, actually. Like, once I finish working on my films, I I really forget about them almost immediately, and I do the barest amount of press, conceivable, and and then I just start writing the next one. So um, that'll come out in some, you know, and then... And then that'll be that, you know. Anyway, I'm really sorry, fellas. It's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you as it was before. But um, the Knicks are down six points in the, in the final quarter and it's become absolutely thrilling. So I've really got to concentrate on that. But have a wonderful time doing whatever it is you're doing right now. And um, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Bye, Woody. Bye. Bye.
4: Uh, oh, oh. Hung up. Hang up again.
0: Why We've got to call him
4: now? when uh, he's not watching a basketball game.
1: Yeah, it's true. Anyway,
4: lovely to hear from him. Wonderful. And now for Danny to
0: review a film he recently saw what a staggeringly brilliant was the last conjunction we call out of daddy for the judgment we're about to hear his called if he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off.
1: White Bird and a Blizzard. What a strange title. What What's... a weird title. It must be hard to see. <laughs> <laughs> um so this is written and directed by Greg Araki. Who I had no idea who he was. Apparently, he's famous. I've heard of him. Isn't he? Doesn't he do
4: like uh, was he Mumblecore or something like that? Is he? Yeah, Mumblecore he makes director? sort of he makes weird films. He's known for being. Oh, weird. I know what he did. Didn't he do like um, Mysterious Skin? Yeah, or that's his yeah. most famous film,
1: which was the film that Jason Coghlan Levitt proved himself as. I'm a serious actor. I'm not just the cute kid from Further Up from a son Yeah, that was like his transitional role, and it's adapted uh, from the book by the same name of the same name by Laura Kazikish. Basically,
4: yeah, it's not film chat unless uh, one of us stumbles over an Eastern European well, surname. Well, K A S I S C H K E C H K. Let me see this name. Um, Kaz- Kazichka.
1: Kazichka. Lauren Kazichka. So no, I have no idea. The plot is uh, Kat Connor's, played by Shailene Woodley of Divergent, Insurgent, Returgent, Yeah, and <laughs> Uh, fame, is uh, 17, uh, 17 years old and her seemingly perfect homemaker mother Eve, played by Eva Green, uh, disappears. This is all set in 1988, by the way. Uh, having lived for so long in a sort of emotionally repressed household, she barely registers her mother's disappearance and uh, doesn't really blame her father, who uh, Brock, who's a bit of a sort of doormat husband. Brock? Like Brock. in um, Pokemon? Like in Pokemon. He's very similar to Brock in uh, Pokemon, actually. Yeah. Uh, but as the time passes... Cat uh, begins to come to terms of what's happened. It all creeps up on her, the, the sadness. And uh, as she investigates her mother's disappearance, things might not be what they seem. Ooh. And it takes place over about two or three years. So overall, I enjoyed this film. It's got a lot of things wrong with it, it's, but it's sort of weirdness kind of kept me interested. And uh, a lot of the reviews have cited uh, sort of a Douglas Cirque melodrama via David Lynch. And you can sort of see those reference points because it's very much a melodrama. What is a Douglas Cirque melodrama? He did, like, uh, things called, like, The Magnificent Obsession or The Whirlwind of Emotion. <laughs> like, they're all, like, full-blown. People shouting, people in rooms smashing plates, kind yeah. of 50s melodrama, big Technicolor epic sort of films. And you can definitely see that element in the film. The David Lynch comparison, I think that's almost a bit of an insult more than a compliment because David Lynch is a sort of singular filmmaker... Really, it's only lynching in in the way it's sort of shot and the colour scheme, and it has a few dream sequences. It's a very sort of superficial comparison. Yeah. And it's a bit almost to its detriment in a way, the sort of trying to be a bit lynchy because it's not really there in the
4: story. So do you feel like it is self-consciously trying to imitate that kind of creepy America suburb? Yeah, it's also got
1: sort of what Twin Peaks had in that some of the scenes come seem like straight out a soap opera you know what i mean like but it's got a underlying weirdness to it yeah yeah but it's not as successful at it and it's more a bit inconsistent because sort of 20 minute stretch is like a normal film and then there's like a sort of very stilted scene and it just all sticks out more than sort of yeah yeah blends in but generally it sort of works i think like a melodrama in general it's hard to do that without it just becoming a soap opera and for large parts of the movie it sort of pulls it off uh, with the exception of the end which sort of uh, jumps the shark a little bit. So my biggest problem with this movie is like Eva Green, who you only see in flashbacks, plays like this sort of uh, suburban mom who's a bit unhappy and starts drinking. But uh, she's just like a bizarre screen presence. I was looking at her most recent roles and it seems she only plays warrior queens, witches, or femme fatales, which seems about right. Yeah, yeah. Because she's, she's just like this weird, ethereal presence, like deathly pale, like striking features And she's got a bizarre voice. She sounds like sort of Bjork with a sore throat and... Uh, she just doesn't feel like a real person. It's like someone's <laughs>
4: drawn her, you know. Yeah. And she's in this. And she's sort of... only believable when she's playing fantastical roles.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not that she's a bad actress. It's just like her sort of screen persona doesn't really sit in a sort of 1980s suburban American household. Yeah. And there's like there's one scene where she's sort of laughing hysterically, and it's like is she about to turn her into frogs or something? Because it's just fucking weird.
4: Was it going to be like that scene <laughs> in the TV show Camelot where she like <laughs> takes her top off to a wolf and like yeah you know, for ritual purposes or something?
1: Yeah, so that bit I think that kind of threw the movie. Yeah, and I, I kind of got the sense that's like the director's like, this is brilliant, this mad performance, this is making my movie. But it kind of detracted from it for me. Um, but counterbalancing this, uh, Christopher Maloney, who plays the father, is like underplaying it very well. And there's also a really strong supporting term from Thomas Jane, who yeah, is... From Stander. From Stander, and he was the original Punisher, and he's just that guy from things. But he's just really good. He's got very sort of easy charisma, and all the sort of little scenes with him in it were really good. He was in something recently. That's not, that's not a useful comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, so the reason this film works as well as it does is that Shailene Woodley's performance is really good in it. And she's in, like, every scene. She kind of, like, carries you through the film and all the sort of inconsistency and tone and sort of approach are sort of evened out by her, in a way. Yeah. Because she's, like, consistent throughout. And uh, the best thing in the movie is, like, right towards the end, there's like a big emotional scene. It's sort of out of nowhere. It's like, oh, this movie is really good. You know, it sort of crept up on me. It's like, maybe this film's a magic trick on me and, like, all those things I thought were bad were deliberate and I'm just not getting the movie. But then, like, the last five minutes of this really trite like, full-blown soap opera thing. And it's like, if you just ended the movie there, it would have been a pretty good film. But as it is, it's like, uh, you've sort of fucked it, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, basically, sometimes the movie's a bit bad. Like, it's just poorly made, but it's weird, so it's not boring, it's never dull. And it's just, like, a it's a strange kind of film. Just the approach of it, to do, like, a sort of melodrama in the 80s which is like the melodrama which is all 60s 50s thing about you know women in large dresses yelling at people and smashing champagne glasses so that's kind of interesting in itself and the sort of sub lynchian thing is just it's not particularly worthwhile but it's just weird enough to sort of be interesting okay so I would say check it out cautious recommendation it's playing at some cinemas but you can't just get it on US Netflix yeah if you live in the US if you live in the US don't change your laptop settings to pretend you're in the u.s
4: absolutely we cannot cannot we cannot and would not do such an action don't
2: say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 online you'll experience the all-new cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
1: Do it. Don't even think about doing it. Yeah. Ooh,
0: time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe. I can telephone So oh, you know where is at like, that's enough Now back to
4: film chat Chappie uh, This is the latest film oh, sorry, from... Are you calling me Chappie Or are you talking about the film chat? Listen, Chappie This is the latest film <laughs> From director Neil Blomkamp Who's previously known for District 9 and Elysium um, He's made another one of his Dusty South African sci-fi movies And it's set in Extremely near future Johannesburg It's like two years It's like barely... <laughs> Really worth setting it in the future. And the police are using humanoid robots to fight crime, which is very, very successful. And the inventor of the robots, Dion, played by Dev Patel, gives one of the robots consciousness. And the newly conscious robot is Chris and Chappie by a rapper duo, D. Antivord, playing themselves. Um, And then they raise these... He's a sort of baby robot kind of thing. He's a robot with the mind of a baby, human baby. And they kind of raise him as a gangster. And meanwhile, Dion's angry Australian co-worker is out to get him. (laughs) (laughs) So if that all sounds a little ridiculous it's because this is a very silly film.
1: Yeah, it's had a very hostile reception from the critics. It has, yeah. It's had a bit of a panning. It felt a bit like they were smelling blood and uh, they just went for
4: it. But I don't think it's particularly. I wonder if collectively the critics felt like they've been too kind to Elysium or something like that. They're not not letting you get away with this stuff this time, I
1: think part of the problem, my sort of fan theory, is that when District 9 came out, everyone was like leaping to call him like an auteur and a genius. And uh, people really latched onto the sort of political subtext of that movie. Yeah. Well, more really subtext text. It's pretty obvious in its message. Yeah. But I think Neil Blomkot seems, judging by his two pre- uh, other movies, he's just more of like an entertainer, and his his goal as a filmmaker is just to give you like a good, fun popcorn ride. And I, people are annoyed that he's not like a sort of.
4: I think he's got. I think he's got a lot in common with Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I think he's got a similar attitude of kind of entertainment first and foremost, but it's entertainment hung around. Some kind of thematic structure, you know? Yeah. yeah like, really. it's not like, you know, a Fast and the Furious movie where it's just like which cars will blow up and like which girls' bums will you see or whatever. It's like there's a point, you know? He's got some kind of point which kind of elevates it. But I think the backlash against both filmmakers is kind of similar in that. Because you can tell the movie is trying to tell you something, if it seems really obvious or if it's full of plot holes, people are kind of extra bummed out because they're expecting to see a kind of more like elevated experience than just your your average dumb blockbuster. Yeah, and I kind of wish that he'd made the um, he was originally going to make Halo, the video game into into a movie. He was attached to that for a while. Um, And that kind of fell through, but I kind of wish that he'd just done that. He obviously does fantastic robots and guns. Yeah, I feel like the way the best way to think about Chappie is as a kind of children's film that's just really violent, like an an anime maybe. All the characters are really, really broad strokes, and there's a sort of absolutely ridiculous like scenery chewing villain, and everything is kind of silly and dumb, and it's a really like obvious message.
1: Definitely, I think um, why I enjoyed it is because the movie is more often than not, like, a broad comedy. And it's, like, it wants you to enjoy it and, like, laugh with it.
4: Yeah. Some of the stuff I can't really tell if it's supposed to be a comedy or if it was just supposed to be kind of light-hearted blockbuster entertainment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like some... Like, with a Hugh Jackman character... So, Hugh Jackman plays Dion's co worker, and he's his kind of rival. He's like his professional rival. Dion's made these very successful police robots, <laughs> and he has made a really unsuccessful, different robot called a moose. Called the moose. the moose. The moose. Bloody moose. He spends most of the movie trying to convince Sigourney Weaver, who's the boss of their company, to let him use the moose, <laughs> and she's always like, no. And he keeps going up to her. Go on, let me Let me, move. Oh, let me get the moose out. Get the moose out, Sigourney. I want to get the moose out. Oh, now. get out of my office. Yeah, that's. Oh, come on. Come on. Might and he also Brian, he, let me use the mouse. he's the first character I've ever seen in the film who's like you know you often get villains who have irrational hatreds for like an aspect of the heroes you know like yeah. a racist or something but his thing is that he hates AI he just hates like, anything that can think that's not a person like a human he just hates <laughs> so as soon as he finds out about Chappie he's, oh, he's mad he's, he's
1: bloody pissed off
4: mate yeah and right. he like he is such a like stupid character that he literally twirls a rugby ball while he's doing his evil schemes in one scene and he also narrates all his actions. when he's yeah, by he, himself he says <laughs> he spends a lot of the movie wondering about being angry by himself because he has no <laughs> friends and he's always saying what he's doing so he's always like, like just oh, looking through no. the b- bloody binoculars here. Oh, uh, what the hell's going what's, on here what's, on? what's he up to what's he going to he gonna yeah. do next I'm going to find out just check me bloody emails here mate okay right
1: <laughs> and he's message like... from me ma what do you want and all
4: he's right. also like Hugh Jackman is sort of really playing up all his emotional reactions to everything because he's often having to do really boring stuff you know because a lot of this movie he's like an engineer essentially yeah yeah. so he's often like compiling or coding or operating a robot and all that stuff the actual actions of it is just sitting and typing or whatever but he's really got huge Jackman to play it up. So when he's sitting there typing and like trying to sort of, he's trying to do a virus or doing something evil, and like he's sitting there like, oh, yes. yeah, or, oh, this it. is brilliant, mate. This Come is on, so my, great, but a yes, is working. working. Or he gets a bit worried, you know, someone's like, oh no, and I've got to hide. Yeah. yeah. Also,
1: and, the director sort of Googled Australian slang. I'm not sure how much of it's actually authentic. So yeah. he has a like,
4: oh, a, like, you're all
0: making me as mad as a
4: frog in a sock. I know we've talked a lot about um, Hugh Jackman, but he kind of encapsulates both the movie's strengths and weaknesses in a way because he's a totally dumb character. But it was very entertaining to see him like wander about. So one of the movie's stranger choices is to have two of the characters played by this like pair of rappers who aren't really actors. Die Antwoord. Yeah, the Antwoord. The, the um, Antwoord. The South African like rappers. Ninja, the male one, um, was originally going to be the main character in Elysium. That fell through. So obviously Neil Blomkamp has been very keen to work with them. And on the one hand, it's kind of interesting having two of the main characters being these strange, like, sort of skinny, tattooed, like, odd haircut. You know, they're not the sort of regular Hollywood... Yeah, they shouldn't
1: really be in a film.
4: Yeah, they're not the regular, like, Hollywood blockbuster um, kind of heroes to root for. And they're also kind of, you know... I don't know. They're like you're supposed to like root for them and find them to be like lovable rogues or whatever, but they are like quite horrible. Yeah, quite especially, especially Ninja. I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm glad that it was that rather than something more boring. But I don't know if it completely works because they aren't as good as like professional actors. Yeah. The movie also has a slightly weird attitude towards violence because part of the story concerns the way Chappie is being raised. You know, he's this kind of blank slate. Tabula rasa. He's a
1: innocent robot.
4: He's a little yeah. innocent robot, and he being raised by these two gangsters, and obviously they're instilling in some questionable values into him. Not good parents. So there's this kind of... You're supposed to be like, oh, no, you know, what are they doing to the poor innocent robot? But at the end, the movie really sort of embraces that kind of, like, guns-blazing, like, violent thing. You sort of feel like the obvious dramatic thing to have had at the end is you know, for Chappie to have regretted his violence or to have this crisis of conscience or something, but it doesn't happen because he wants to end his movie with, like, kicking ass.
1: Yeah. I think the thing that I thought was the most successful thing about the film was uh, Chappie himself, the, like, voice enacted by Chateau Copley, and he just does a really good job of being a sort of innocent robot. That could easily have been yeah. very annoying. Yeah. And I think yeah, yeah. some critics have found it. But I was like really
4: endeared by his performance. No, he's a very endearing character, Charlotte Copley, like, you know, in movies. Or at least he was in District Nine. Yeah, and, he's a really uh, good actor. And yeah, he was great. And and also, yeah, it's so incredibly well animated, like
1: Yeah, I think it's an underrated ability to Use special effects in that way, or visual effects. I think and that if, that's I think... his strength as a filmmaker in a way, like yeah. the kind of world building yeah, yeah, yeah. and the action and everything. It's uh, it's really impressive, and like that alone, that's a skill unto itself, and it's easy to d- d- dismiss. But.
4: Yeah, That's no, really absolutely. Impressive. It's it's done incredibly well, especially because you know people take CGI for granted, but in a lot of movies it's done quite badly when the filmmakers obviously don't really care. And um, our favourite person to complain about of the moment, <laughs> Matthew Vaughn... Fucking piece of shit. Dude. The special effects in the movies kind of look crap. Yeah. You know? X-Men First Class, like a lot of that movie looked kind of rubbish, and the reason is because it, Matthew Vaughn doesn't really care about special effects very much. Yeah. You know, it's just got to be fun. Whereas, you know, Neil Baumkamp obviously is, like, obsessed with it, um, and his background is in... Uh, yeah, yeah, himself. And so he knows about like so center of gravity and weights and, like, and, weight uh, and all yeah, sort of, and the uh, physics of it. Chappie just looks. I mean, you know, if they if they told me that they just built an actual robot and had him wandering about, I would have been practically convinced. Like, it looks amazing. It looks incredible. looks well, perfect. And also, I think that it's a very clever piece of design that robot because it has to be convincing both as a police robot who's you know looks intimidating and is like got you know bristling with guns and is fighting crime and stuff, and also this kind of adorable baby robot who you are going to root for. Um, and they somehow managed to work both those designs out in one creature, and it's yeah, really amazing. It's really impressive. Yeah.
1: I think my overall feelings of it is like it's a very fun movie, and it's uh, very weird like stuff happens in the final act I just wasn't expecting yeah yeah like this sort of mad it does go in some strange strange places it's like like a mess but it doesn't uh, even though it sort of indulges in the sort of cliches of like the alpha male bad guy and stuff the actual plot goes in some really weird directions yeah and it was kind of kind of like a fresh sort of uh, story
4: to it so anyway I don't know it's like it's a fun movie but I wouldn't go in expecting something yeah go with low expectations and you'll be pleasantly surprised I think yes you will
2: my favourite
0: film star's is Bridget Bardo, she's the queen but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the
1: end. So I heard you discovered like this uncovered gem, like no one had heard of this movie and you've seen it and it's really good. Yeah,
4: someone at the Prince Charles Cinema um, unearthed uh, a very rare print, I don't know where they found it from, um, I think it was like an archaeological dig um, from... Yeah. <laughs> from some uh, remote corner of L.A. And um, they screened it uh, a couple of nights ago. It's called Citizen Kane. (laughs) Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. By Orson Welles. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I've seen Citizen Kane before, but not for a long time, so it was kind of interesting to see it again. Does it Um, hold up? Citizen Kane is... uh, you know, when I first saw it, obviously it's supposed to be the greatest film that's ever been made, so I was slightly, you know, ready for a sort of backlash. You know, ah, yeah. oh, it's not that great. And then in the intervening years, I've convinced myself that it was kind of slightly slow and boring. Yeah. Um, so this time I had the opposite feeling. I was like, oh, this is a good. This is a good movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's not you know, it's not actually that long, it's like two hours long. Yeah. So uh you know, it feels kind of slow but it's, it's a, a good. hard
1: movie to judge because I feel like I've seen every scene parody and everything else. Yeah. That like, am I just watching this film, or am I just remembering the Simpsons and like every single pop culture touchstone?
4: Yeah, yeah. Has done a version of it. Yeah, it's one of the one of the reasons it was valuable to to go see it, why I enjoyed seeing it, is because it was kind of seeing it afresh and like you know, judging it in a new way. Because especially because if you're sort of vaguely familiar with the characters and like the plot, you know, it's about this kind of like the portrayal of this. Um, hubristic newspaper magnate and his ups and downs and all that kind of thing and you can see it kind of with like fresh eyes and you know see what works and what doesn't work and also a lot of the discussion about Citizen Kane is about how innovative it is and you know the cinematic techniques and how it's really modern you know it was incredibly advanced for the 40s when it was made and I think that that's not really something that has much bearing on how you're going to feel about the movie now when you watch it like, I'm not watching a movie being like, uh, oh I, can't, I can't believe they moved the camera that way then, you know. Yeah. I mean, that, that can be something you can, you're you thinking about, but it's not, like, the most interesting, you know. That's not going to cover up for any other, like, flaws in the drama or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's cool. It's interesting because Orson awesome Welles is obviously a man with a tremendous ego. And, you know, he's playing someone who's like that as well. And he's kind of given himself this character um, who has the moments of... I am the rich, smart, badass who's, uh, you know, t- getting better of all these, like, uh, slow, dim-witted fools around me um, in the kind of earlier part of the film, but then is undercut and then some by the second half. And it is uh, it is kind of interesting the way that... He gives himself like a couple of moments of delivering a speech and being really suave, and then uh, a long end of the movie where he's this doddering, like, old sort of pathetic uh Clapping guy. really slowly. Yeah that like there's a whole say so for the unaware, there's a whole sequence in this film where um, his second wife is a singer, and um, but she's not that good. But Orson awesome Welles wants to make her, like, a big hit, so he, like, builds her an opera house and tries to force her to become an opera star, and she doesn't really fit that role, and it's kind of a disaster. And that's like, takes up quite a lot of the movies. like, it really, like, you know, it really goes for it. It's like, however uncomfortable it is to see a woman forced to sing when she's not really that great at it, it's, uh, you know, it wants to wring every drop of pity out of you yeah. <laughs> to, to witness that, but. Yeah, what are your memories of the movie? What are your feelings about it?
1: Um, I remember thinking it was pretty good, but I think it's a film you more, in my experience, like you admire more than you're particularly enjoying it. In, well, not so much enjoying it, but I
4: don't know if it'd been made ten years later, would it still be that good? Do you I, know what I mean? I think like, I think it's a it's definitely a film where there's a bit of a shadow cast over it by the status that it's acquired since, you know. It's ridiculous for that movie to be voted the best film of all time, like fifty years running or something. Like, there's, you know, I think yeah, it's it, good, but it's ob- it's not obviously best, better than every other. My film. like my piffy like review of it is like is always voted like
1: the best of all time, but it's in nobody's top ten. Right? <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's not really a film you love. It's not uh, your favorite movie. Yeah, but. it's like hasn't got anything yeah. that really like hooks me in. I would yeah. say, like, yeah. all the characters are kind of like risible, you know, or like pathetic. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, there's there's
4: no one to really root for. I think what Roger Ebert said about it that um, that it was a better film than Casablanca, but Casablanca was like a better movie or something. That it's like a more Casablanca is the one that's really fun and that you always return to, and that you know you love watching. That it's a great kind of cinema like popcorn experience, but that Citizen Kane is the piece of art. Yeah, but I think I think that description somewhat undersells like just the you know, the actual you know, fun of watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend uh checking it out if you get the chance. It probably could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I know no, that sounds your pick of the week. Is, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think a lot of people have actually not seen it because it does have that you know it's yeah. like it does have that slightly imposing like God, you know, this is gonna be a slog. Yeah. It's also very funny. There's a lot of like there's a lot of humor in it.
1: Watch yeah. that and then watch the bobo episode of The Simpsons.
4: Absolutely, and then watch um, a few episodes of Pinky and the Brain Yeah, for the Brain doing the Orson Welles impression. And then watch uh, Me and Orson Wells, Richard
1: Linklater movie. It's very good.
4: Is that Richard Linklater? Yeah, yeah that's it's one
1: him. of the many films he made while he's shooting you know, two days of boyhood. Yeah. Make a whole other movie. Genius. Genius.
3: Yesterday I bumped into Imelda and She was up with her dog and me talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. So she said she
4: likes podcasts for relaxing. No the you're in the mood, What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast. I listen to one podcast. Only the one can kiss my arse. Did I listen to one podcast?
2: Film chat. Film chat. Film
4: chat. Film chat. Film chat. Hi, well, okay. and welcome back, listeners. I thought it was something funny.
1: I think we discussed this the other other day. Okay. I can't wait to review a film which stars Hilary Swank, which she's really bad in it, so I can say
4: Hilary's wanking it. That will be a red-letter day for Film Chat. And that has nothing to do with what we discussed (laughs) in the podcast.
1: (laughs) But I'm just waiting. Also, another joke I'm keen to make, Uh that won't work on radio, is reviewing Jurassic World... And saying terrified or terrible, but with a silent p at the front, like pterodactyl.
4: Right, so that will be your online review. Yeah, yeah. How about how about when Jurassic World comes out, we'll get Katie to do the review. Yeah, and then she can just do a long monologue, and at the end, I'll say clever girl. <laughs> what do you think?
1: <laughs> Sounds a bit pervy. <laughs> but I'm all, I'm, a little patronizing. A little creepy.
4: What other films are coming out? We can think of clever ways to review them. You've that, got thirty seconds. That'll be a project for during the week. Anyway, uh it doesn't matter, we'll think about that later. Um we very urgently have to wait the podcast now.
0: Goodbye.
3: Goodbye. goodbye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> goodbye.
4: goodbye. Film chat will was-
1: It's written by a man and directed by a woman. How did they get along?